Hello and welcome to episode four of the Airmic Talks podcast, your fortnightly update from the UK Risk and Insurance Management Association. Please remember that the easiest way to find the latest episodes and have them downloaded straight to your device is by subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any other podcast app. Before we get into our main set piece interview, I just wanted to remind you of a few key AMIC initiatives during the COVID-19 pandemic. All of this is collected and signposted on the coronavirus resource page on the AMIC website and the link is in the episode description as well. On that page there is the latest coronavirus communication to members and stakeholders as well as a link to the AMIC live broadcast series. In that series our Deputy CEO and Technical Director Julia Graham is hosting live webinars every Monday at 10am. So far we have heard from Marsh and Herbert Smith Freehills on claims activity and the role of the broker and Willis Towers Watson on critical issues around employee benefits and the well-being of our employees. The AMIC coronavirus resource page has also a long and growing list of links and documents that we believe will be useful to our members across the topics including governance, insurance and claims, risk and resilience and people. So please do make use of that at airmic.com. But on this week's Airmit Talks, I am joined by Greg Anderson, partner in the commercial disputes team at the law firm Herbert Smith Freehills. Greg specialises in insurance disputes, particularly for policyholders, and he began by telling me what claims they are beginning to see arising from the coronavirus pandemic. We are still in the early days. Um, of course, but uh, plainly from the uh, outset of COVID, businesses have started to incur losses, uh, including not least uh, balance sheet impacts that may be covered under business interruption, insurance, uh, event cancellation claims, and matters such as trade credit uh, insurance issues, all of which are potentially live now. Clients are at seeking early advice on. Various claims notifications are being made into the market. My understanding at this stage is predominantly uh, they are focused on uh, BI and to a lesser extent event cancellation, uh, but there are other claims being made, for example, uh, under employment practices, liability, insurance, claims in relation to employment type issue, given the changing uh, working conditions. Uh, there will be others. It's only the beginning of the process. We are hearing that insurers are responding and in the matters that we are dealing with literally in the last few days, we're starting to see more substantive responses from insurers. There appears to be a degree of uniformity in some points at least across the market in relation to the approach that the market are taking. Uh, And certainly up until now, that position seems to be relatively robust in relation to uh, how firm the points are that they are uh, taking, and in, in some cases uh, more towards the extreme end, uh, I think. So they're they're not taking a particularly commercial view of matters as as, as, as things stand. That's very interesting. And so you're seeing it, that's good to hear that there's some degree of uniformity at least. And you, you're finding that insurers are trying to be open with clients as to as to that conversation, how that conversation proceeds. At this stage, I think it's too early to say. Most of the conversations we have seen have been by email, uh, setting out preliminary coverage uh, positions. 
it may be that more in the broking houses, those kinds of conversations will be uh, being had. But I'm not sure I'd uh, describe the position we've seen so far as particularly commercial. But that said, I'd like to emphasise it is it is early days. Yeah. And then so considering considering these early days and whether you know some risk insurance managers will already be looking at potential claims and be thinking about notifications to their insurers, what are some of the key considerations for the insurance managers at this stage, whether or not they expect they've got losses or not, or they don't know yet, sorry. Well, I, th- I think one has to undertake something of a diagnostic process, albeit um, under at some time pressure. And my starting point would be to seek to understand the scope of cover for various COVID-related losses. And I break that down into two elements. First of all, policies that may be responding now that can mitigate losses that are already uh, being incurred. And in many cases, the focus there will be on business interruption insurance. And the second is policies that may be being engaged now, but more likely may be engaged further down the line. And I have in mind there the various liability covers and some specific risk covers. In the usual course, whenever you have a major economic event of this kind, claims tend to follow, but they may not come in for months or even years down the line. On the first category of claims, particularly under BI, those claims are quite sensitive to market developments and factual developments, including things like, have I got COVID on my premises? What orders are governments or what advice are governments giving in the different jurisdictions in which my business operates? So even once you understand the potential scope of coverage under that policy or indeed uh, other policies, it's important to keep the position under review because the policy triggers will be sensitive to how matters uh, pan out over the, the, coming, the coming weeks and months. And and, and, and there's a degree of um, keeping keeping one's eye on the ball, I think, that's required in respect of uh, that. It's also important to understand what do my policy conditions say? What are the terms that I need to be able to comply with? Uh, So, for example, notification conditions, as you say, consents that might be uh, required to the occurring of uh, costs and the like. Uh, Thinking about things such as gathering evidence, even from the earliest of days, which I may need to, uh, to advance my claim a little bit further down the line. And then is there anything in the the boilerplate, if I can put it that way, of my policy, such as a condition uh, around the period for which my my premises can be left unoccupied, that I just need to have in mind as matters pan out. The other major area I think for risk managers to have in mind at this stage is the renewal uh, process. And there are a number of facets to that. The first is that it's um, reported that uh, certainly in some lines, and it may be in many lines now, insurers are looking to introduce COVID exclusions into policies. So there will be a piece around how does a policyholder respond to that proposal by insurers, whether that be to look to have the exclusion taken out or to narrow the scope of the exclusion, or indeed to extend the period of cover uh, to push back the issue for a for a short while, and uh, if a policy is going to be renewed on terms that have that kind of a provision in, it will be imperative to make sure that policyholders have taken care to notify uh, claims and circumstances to the extent that they legitimately can to the expiring year to make sure as much coverage for future matters attaches to that expiring year policy. And whilst doing all of that, the usual renewal process will uh, need to take place a fair presentation of the risk will need to be given. And to the extent that policyholders are encountering 
practical difficulties with that process, albeit that uh, I understand that renewables are, are generally proceeding relatively smoothly. Early communication with underwriters will be important to make sure that any issues around that can be discussed and dealt with on a pragmatic basis, whether that be waiving categories of documents to which access isn't able to be provided, just given that people aren't in the office in the usual way, can't do site surveys, and and just starting the process sufficiently early, I think. I mean, I think you've touched on this in the, in the first answer, but in terms of the existing insurance policies that might be liable to respond in the event of, of this pandemic, what are you, where are you expecting to see real claims activity? Well, I think in the first instance, at this stage, it will be BI coverage will be front of mind for most uh, clients and that may be under the property damage section of the policy to the extent that one can argue that the presence of COVID amounts to uh, property damage. There are various coverages under BI in relation to damage at uh, other premises, uh, for example contingent BI coverage or loss of attraction uh, coverage, but uh, most claims seem to be being advanced for the time being under the non-damage extensions to policies, which tend to be sublimited, uh, and that's mm. on the basis of notifiable disease or communicable disease uh, extensions or public authority denial of access type extensions. We're also aware of a significant number of event cancellation claims that will obviously be specific more to particular sectors, which comes as which comes as no surprise. And there will be a various, you know, a fairly wide range of other policies that may respond in due course. And I think it's important to emphasise that for nearly every business, the range of potential policies that, that might respond won't, ref, won't reflect their actual exposures. And the kind of policies I have in mind there will be for, 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 for trading companies, manufacturers and financial institutions, their trade credit insurance, and possibly also their political risk insurance. And then looking a little bit further down the line for most businesses, you'd be looking at your DNO cover and employer employment practices liability cover in relation to potential claims against management or uh, employment claims, and, and particularly if insolvency might be foreshadowed for a business, um, you'd be wanting to look at your side A DNO cover uh, in the event that the company may not be able to assist in funding claims uh, against you, and you can have investigations or claims made post-insolvency by liquidators uh, and regulators that the businesses may want to have in mind. Professional indemnity insurance in some circumstances could be an important tool. It may be in some sectors, for example, that there's new risk presented by COVID, for example, given the stock market fluctuations that we're currently seeing. Historically, one can expect claims against those who are managing investments, possibly, whether or not, in fact, those are are valid claims. You may also just get claims as a result of the way that businesses are now having to operate. Many many businesses are in a, a, a state of flux, and it's entirely possible, therefore, that the services that are provided by professional and financial services organisations to their clients uh, are impacted in some way by, 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 by what is happening. So you'd be looking at PI coverage uh, for that kind of loss. Where individuals suffer physical or mental uh, harm or distress, you'd be looking to employers' liability or public liability insurance. Uh, examples of that would be, for example, an employee who considers that they were infected by the virus during the course of their employment, albeit I rather expect those claims will face significant causation issues. 
or it may be that they're operating in in the home workplace and there are claims in relation to injuries that occur while individuals are working at home. So EEL policies would deal with that. Possible for PL claims in relation to, let's say, family members of employees who who have become infected that then make a claim against the the business that might be covered under a public liability insurance policy. Uh, And then businesses are also facing risks such as uh, cyber and crime risks. Uh, It will come as a, a surprise to nobody that criminals are looking to take advantage of the current circumstances. Rates of crime, particularly cyber crime, are up. We've already seen COVID-related malware uh, and therefore ransom demand and risks of data exfiltration to which one uh, would be looking to a cyber policy, um, crime insurance, possibly kidnap and ransom insurance. So businesses just need to be aware of the need to go through a process of mapping out their policy uh, coverage for those kinds of risks, which can be something of a jigsaw, so that if the crisis does happen, whether it be a, a major fraud event that knocks out a system, or indeed possibly a system failure, or at the other end of the the, the, the spectrum, perhaps an employee uh, taking advantage of an unoccupied office and, and committing a theft, that you know what the scope of coverage is for these risks, so that you can respond quickly uh, when you come on notice of them. Absolutely, Greg. And I think it's very helpful to have that broader picture of it. Of course, we can all, we, we talked about some of the the kind of more obvious direct uh, impacts upon companies and their insurance policies from uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. But of course, there are these other knock-on effects and other risks that will be arising or, or will be amplified by uh, the current crisis. So thank you for, for highlighting some of those. Just just lastly, Greg, um, one of the one of the ideas I've heard floated around not to much not not to having a great reception has been kind of after the event insurance policies and in particular how captive insurance companies might be able to play a role there. Is this something you've you've come across? People suggested. Do you think there is any any viability to um, after the event insurance for? Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic? One one has to look at this through two lenses, I think, and to, to separate the question of a, of a captive role from the use of ATE cover. Uh, certainly in relation to pursuing claims, I think policyholders uh, may well want to look at the use of after the event insurance where they have a claimant claiming on their policy. If the market continues to take uh, robust lines, I think undoubtedly there'll be litigation at, at some point and claimants will be wanting to litigate at the lowest uh, risk uh, possible and to guard their downside risk, given not least the financial pressures on their business. Uh, I say I think that's separate from the position in relation to a captive because I, I see the position in relation to a captive really coming in two strands. And really what one's looking to do there is perhaps to unlock some of the, the capital in the captive. Mm. Where, where you're dealing with existing uh, and no losses that the uh, business is facing, it seems to be something of an uphill battle uh, to see how a captive could be put to use. You may run into fortuity issues, uh, even if you can circumnavigate those captive acting on an arm's length basis will nevertheless have to charge a premium and where you know you're suffering a a potentially significant loss one would expect a premium to be commensurate with that so I'm not sure to what extent one would really be releasing uh, capital so potential significant challenges with that aspect that said just coming back to a point I touched on earlier which is the use of COVID uh, exclusions in policies following renewal 
I can well see that there's a scope for captives following renewal to be writing coverages without COVID exclusions on a difference in conditions uh, or indeed difference in limit spaces to the extent that uh, coverage is uh, restricted. And you won't run into the same kind of fortuity issues there in the sense that uh, these are you know, maybe li- 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 liability lines and you don't know what claims there might be in relation to COVID. So potential access to the captive there. One of the background challenges will be, of course, to the extent that the captive is looking to reinsure that loss, you may you may run into the same issues in relation to whether or not the external market wants to pick up COVID-19 related losses. But if it's a matter of unlocking the um, the captive's capital, I can I can I can see it really being of some utility there. Absolutely. Thank you, Greg. That makes uh, a lot of sense. And I think from my uh, captive contacts, we're hearing a lot of that discussion around unlocking excess capital in the captive. And of course, there's multiple ways to do that. It might be through insurance policies, but it might also be through dividend paybacks, loan backs to parent, and of course, lost portfolio transfers on legacy liabilities as well. I think we might see some of that activity regarding captives uh, later on in this year. Well, thank you to Greg Anderson of Herbert Smith Freehills for being the latest guest on Airmic Talks. As mentioned at the start, please do visit Airmic's coronavirus resource page on the website airmic.com for the latest communications from the association on how we are responding and continuing to operate as a virtual association and the latest recommended resources and reading helpful to risk and insurance professionals relating to the pandemic. Stay safe and healthy and see you next time.